Hey there, Bridgeway. It is so good to be able to speak with you today. I want to thank our senior pastor, Dr. David Anderson, for the opportunity to bring the word to you today. And, and the, the message I'm going to bring to you is in some ways a continuation or maybe even a remix of some of the things we learned through our last ser- series, Be Encouraged, that Pastor Anderson preached. The title of my message is 911 How to Get and Give Help for Healing. Have you ever had to call 911? You know, the, the dispatcher on the other end of the phone is ready to, you know, take your call and help. You know what? I know someone who can explain this a lot better than I can. And he just happens to be with us here today. I'd love to have a conversation with Richard Miller. Now, Richard is uh, working for the U.S. Department of Navy, and he is a regional ma- dispatch manager there out of Norfolk. And Richard, welcome to Bridgeway Community Church. Thank you. Nice to meet you. All right. Glad to be here. And uh, Richard is not only um, professionally in the field, but he's also uh, a Bridgeway attender. He's uh, in process to become a partner. He attends um, the Fellowship Life Group, and he also is a Christ follower and overall just a great guy. So <laughs> thanks for being with us here today. Thank you. Thank you. So, so tell me, how long have you been in this industry? I've been in the field of 911 since 1995. Since 1995. Yes. And just checking, can you hear him okay? We good? All right. Um, since 1995, and uh, you're with the Navy now, right? That's correct. Right, but where were you before that? Uh, before the Navy, I was with the National Institutes of Health. Uh, everybody knows NIH. I was there, and I was a manager of their 911 center. And prior to that is where I got my first start in Baltimore City, shout out KGA, at 1995, where I started there as a dispatch and worked my way up to being a supervisor. Wow, so there's a lot of history there, a lot of experience. And I was fascinated um, by some of the things as we chatted uh, earlier um, that takes place in the 911 call center. And that's just what I'm calling it. It's a blanket description for it. Um, What is the goal of people who work at that kind of a center? We're here to get people help. We are here to be that connection, that conduit, if you will, from the person that's in their crisis into getting them the help and the resource that they need. We are that line, that headset, that person that helps those that's in need in some pivotal moments throughout their life, 24-7. 24-7, right, right, 24-7. So you said some key words that stand out to me that actually apply to this message, which is why I wanted to um, have this interview with you mm-hmm. in person. And that is that you're a conduit. Yes. You're a connection. Yes. You're helping people. That's yes. great. That's great. Um, what kinds of help do you give? So it's not just the individual who's calling from their home. We're helping them when they haven't, say, the baby may be choking. They don't know why they breathe in a certain way. We're helping that person. We're also helping that officer that has someone and needs to get this information. Hey, do you have directions here? Can you tell me this person's driving history? We're helping that person. We're helping that officer when he's in duress. We're also helping the medics the same way, providing support for them when they need additional resources for, to mitigate whatever they're working on. It's a I could go on and on of all the things that we do in our industry to help 
individuals in their situations in crisis. So you're helping a variety of people. You yes. don't know what's going to come in on that call and Absolutely. who you're going to have to help. And so how do you determine what they need? So we just extract the information through a series of questions. That first one being 911, where's your emergency? Because we you need said, a location. Wait, you said, where's your emergency? Where? Not what's your emergency? Where's Why do you your say emergency? that? Because if we don't know where you are, then we can't get the resources mm. to you. There's something about that that'll preach too, knowing okay. where people are, right? That's right. Not just uh, literally, but, but figuratively, Absolutely. where are they at in their life? Right, and, we, and that's important as well, because that's when we get into the follow-up questions to mm -hmm. find out what's going on. And we extract that through a series of questions that we get information that we're trained to, certified. Most of our centers, if not all of our centers, have these um, questions that's already set out in the mm -hmm. policy to get the most information as possible, be it that person on the phone or being that officer. Again, mm -hmm. all these things go through the training that we fall back on in policies and procedures to help other people. So you're asking questions, but then you're stopping and you're listening. Absolutely. You're paying attention, right? Um, tell me um, about the kind of training that you give to people who work in these centers. And so that's one of the trainings that we do. We have certifications. I can speak for our center. One thing that we go through, one of the national platforms, APCO. Um, Nina also has this, the other practitioners that give you training specifically on how to get information from someone, how to remain calm and focused on the uh, task at hand, as well as the active listening skills that are very key into what we're doing as um, 911 practitioners, as well as there's additional trainings such as uh, critical thinking and things like that. Yeah, that so there's a lot. lot of training. There's a lot right? of training. There's <laughs> a lot of training, but when it comes right down to it, it's being in the moment, right? Absolutely. And paying attention, listening, and then connecting people to what they need. Last question, why do you do it? You've been doing it a long time. Why do you do it? Just in a sentence. Like to serve. Hmm. That's what we're here to do. We're here to serve. When in this 911 industry, we're not just serving the public, we're serving, as I said, the other 911 professionals out there. Mm. And it's a joy and satisfaction when you know that you have a job that gives yeah. and helps others. Well, that's great. I want to thank you for being here. Anything else you want to say? Oh, I just wanted to mention that next week, uh, beginning Sunday, is the beginning of National Public Safety Telecommunicators Week. And so if you are, well, actually not if, you have a 911 center wherever you are, yeah. and I ask you to pray for them and, and the rest of our 911 professionals out there. And, you know, you know somebody in the industry, give them a thank you. Call them up. Say, hey, can I send you guys a pizza? Because we do love pizza <laughs> and donuts. So <laughs> if, if you're willing to do that, by all means, if not, just say thank you to the ones that you know do what we do. Fantastic. Richard, thank you so much thank for you, being Pastor with Rich. us here thank today. You. <laughs> Wow, there's a lot involved when you call 911. And that's when you use your phone to call 911 about something that you're going through in the moment, a practical emergency. But did you know that you can make 911 calls to God? That's right, you can make them to Him and He is ready to answer. You can call on God when you can't help yourself. You can call on God when you're in crisis and when your heart is crushed and when you feel like all is lost and, and would never be found, you can call on God when you feel like you're going to die. You can call on God when you are dying. God is there to respond to your call. In fact, there are 
911 calls written out in the Bible, and one of them is by King David when he was being delivered by God from the hands of all his enemies and from the hands of King Saul who were trying to kill him. In Psalm 18, verse 6, it says, I, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to God for my help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. In verses 16 and 17, he says, He reached down from on high, and he took hold of me, and he rescued me. God is always able to rescue us. God is always able to silence our critics. God is always able to stop that hurtful, painful circumstance that we're experiencing. God is always able to do that. And sometimes he does. And sometimes he doesn't. I don't understand it. His ways are higher than our ways. His thinking is above our thinking. Uh, He is a sovereign God. Those are his decisions, not ours. We cannot like it. We can even hate it. We can push against it. We can resist it. But the reality is he is God and we are not. And he allows things into our lives that are hurtful and painful that cause loss and grief. But when he does, when he does, he teaches us that he is a God of all comfort. We begin to learn that when we go through stuff, God helps us so that we can get through it. But not only so that we can get through it, but so that we can help others go through stuff. Basically, we go through stuff, God helps us, and then we in turn, with that help, help other people. I invite you to turn to a scripture that God has led me to share with you today. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 3 through 10. So you can turn in your, in your copy of the scriptures or on your device. And I'll be reading from the New International Version. And we're going to read this passage a little section at a time. And as we do, there's some action steps based on this passage that we can take. And here's the first one. The first one is to receive God's comfort. Receive God's comfort, even when you'd rather just crawl up in a ball, even when you'd rather die, even when you'd rather pretend it didn't happen. It says this in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Who is this God? He's not the goat, not the greatest of all time. Well, actually, he is. He's the only one of all time when it comes to God. But he's the G-O-A-C, the God of all comfort. Not some comfort. And you've heard me say, not southern comfort, which might help for a minute, but doesn't last and may cause some other trouble. But the God of all comfort that comforts us not only in the big things, but the little things. Not only in the little things, but the big things in our lives. He's the source of a comprehensive comfort. He's the warehouse owner of compassion that he stockpiles and he gives to us as needed. And then he deploys us as Christ followers to share it with other people. The same comfort that we have received. Receive God's comfort. Don't resist it. I know we'd rather have a time machine and have him take us back in time and have us not go through the circumstances, but God is not going to work that way. But he is going to meet you where you're at. He is going to give you that comfort. And we might not want what God's handed out. But we should take it. We should receive it. And you know what I mean. You know, you ever been to Costco or the grocery store and you see these people handing out these little samples 
you know. And I, don't act like you don't know. You go there on purpose sometimes. Some of you, some of you celebrate your anniversary there, you know. Hey, baby, I'm going to take you out for a 12-course meal. Don't you worry about that diet because there, there, there's, there's small portions. Yeah. yeah, and you got your, you got your uh, all-beef hot dogs over here, and you got your little pastry over here, and like you ain't never had orange juice before, all right? But, but this is what's being handed out. And sometimes when I'm in those situations, I'll walk by and I'll go, nah, nah, no thank you. I'll walk by again, nah, nah, do you want some? Want some? Nah, nah. But finally, finally, we give in and we take it. God hands out comfort. God wants us to accept it. He wants us to feel his presence and his comfort like we never have before. He wants us to get ready for what's next. He allows suffering, but he also activates comfort. Receive God's comfort. My advice, accept the suffering, acknowledge the great pain and pressure, and take the comfort that God's handing out. Receive the soothing for the pain, recognize the despair, but also receive the peace. And I know that more grief equals more grace and comfort. The more hardships we have, the more suffering we have, the more grace and comfort that God gives us. I know it's like that line in Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. It's the worst of times because of what's happening to us. But it's the best of times because God has a way of putting this comfort in our lives and helping us and drawing us close to him in ways that we would not be in any other situation. But there's a second action step here in this passage, and we find it in verses 4 through 9. And here's the action step. Recycle God's help and hope to others. Recycle God's help and hope to others. Even when? You'd rather not relive it or remember it. You see, it says in verse 4, after he says, The God of all comfort comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share, we are distressed. It is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you also, so also you share in our comfort. You see, when suffering and troubles come into our lives, it may not be 100% about us. It's so that we can experience God in the most intimate way possible by receiving comfort during those most painful and soul-crushing moments. But it's also so I can curate this comfort so I can stockpile it, if you will, and I hold it in reserve to sharing to whomever else needs it. You know, to give comfort, you gotta get the comfort. And when you get the comfort, we should give the comfort. To give hope, you must have hope. When we have the hope, we should share the hope. And when you have hope, when you're going through hell, and it makes people wonder, how are you doing it? It makes them curious. It makes them ask questions. How are you continuing to go on? Where do you find your hope? People will wonder. People will ask. But in order for people to ask about your hope, they must first see your hope. In order for them to see your hope, you must actually have hope. You will have had to have received from God. If you're going to help others see heaven when they're going through hell, then you've got to have the hope of the heavenly Father, the God of all comfort. And it's like, 
people don't see it. It's kind of like when you go to order something online and it says no image available. I'm not ordering that. I'm not interested. You know, or you go to, go to Facebook to look up an old friend, you know, and, and, and there's no image available, right? You're like, I'm not contacting that friend. We should let people see the hope that we have. And then when they ask about it, be ready. It says in 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 15, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, which kind of recognize that he is God. And then it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And when they see your hope, they'll listen to your words. And let them ask. Let them ask. Don't, don't be ready for a sermon. Don't be ready to give them a Bible verse right away. But listen and be ready to respond when they ask. But you say, I may have something very valuable to share with them. Well, just because something is valuable doesn't necessarily mean it's useful in that moment. You know, when my dad passed away, my mom gave me all of his tools. My dad had a garage full of tools. So I took our truck, I drove it out to Indiana, I packed that thing, drove it back home, and I now have so many tools. Guess what? I'm not mechanical. I'm not mechanical, right? I, I barely know how to use it. Now, sure, I can pound and nail in with a screwdriver, no problem, right? But I don't know how to use these tools. And so sometimes we want to give something to somebody and they're not ready for it. It's not really useful. So listen, as was said here in our interview with Richard. Listen for what they need and be ready. Another way that we can recycle this hope and help that God has used to heal us is found in the next set of verses. Verses 8 and the first part of verse 9. Paul says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Paul is saying, hey, listen, I don't share this with you lightly. I've been there. I might not have gone, exactly, gone through exactly what you've gone through, but I thought I was going to die. I'm, Paul begins to use his story for God's glory. To use a story for God's glory. And he's, he's letting them know and he's basically saying, what we went through wasn't some cute sermon illustration or some canned testimony. I want you to know that we almost died. It was too much for me to bear. It may have felt like God left us for dead, but in fact, he was there and he brought us through it. We learned that we can rely on God, that we, he can deliver us when there is no way out. He did it before, so we know he can do it, forget, do it again. And he did it for me, and I know he can do it for you. So use your story. Share your story. When you share your story with courage, you encourage. And just like a 911 dispatcher understands that their job is to be a conduit and to pass on information and to get help, they also know that once that help arrives, their role is over. So don't put too much pressure on yourself because you know what? We're not the ones who heal. We're just the channels and the conduit of God's healing, the connection to the God of all comfort who sees it lived out in us. In fact, it's God that does the healing, which leads us to the last action step of this passage 
found in the second part of verse 9 and verse 10. Rely on God's strength and power for deliverance. Rely on God's strength and power for deliverance. Verse 9 says, Indeed, we felt we have re- had received the sentence of death. But here it is. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. <laughs> Verse 10, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that we will, He will continue to deliver us. God is the one we should rely on. People will help, but they'll let us down. It doesn't mean don't trust them. It doesn't mean don't, don't share with them and don't depend on them. But, but the true reliance for deliverance and hope and healing is to begin and end with God. You know that statement, God will never give you anything bigger than you can handle? That is not true. At least in my life, it's not true. He gives me things bigger than I can handle all the time. All the time. That's why I need him. That's why I have to rely on him. I get in situations that only he can deliver me from. Let me tell you, anything above average that I have accomplished that matters in life, (laughs) it's because of my reliance on God. And Paul used his story for God's glory. And I just want to ask you, can I... uh, Can I share some of my story with you? Not to accentuate my circumstances, but you need to know some of them. And not to tout how strong my faith is, but rather to share how big God is, the God of all comfort. I've had plenty of 911 moments in my life. Over the last couple of years, there's been some real tough ones. Ones where I've cried out to God. When my dad died suddenly of COVID in August of 2020, it broke my heart. He was getting older, you know, he was almost 80 years old. You know, and people say, he lived a good long life. And I'm like, yeah, but not not long enough for me. (laughs) He was my buddy. He was my, really one of my best friends. He was the best man in my wedding. And I never really wanted to think about God taking him. And I was actually quite surprised and shocked when he died so quickly of COVID. Healthy one day, and just a few days later, he's in heaven. That broke my heart. But when my oldest son, Davey, suddenly died just two months later in October of 2020, that broken heart was crushed into little tiny pieces like dust. And it's almost as if somebody went and blew it away. And I didn't know if I would survive. And the morning that he passed in our home was like thousands of mornings, other mornings for the last 32 years of caring for my Davy boy, as we call them, I call them, who had severe autism and a mental retardation diagnosis. He was low functioning um, cognitively, he was nonverbal, but he was beautiful. And he taught me so much. One of my friends, uh, Tawanda, uh, wrote a poem, said, without words, how much Davy said without ever speaking. And I was one of Davy's few caregivers, and I had morning duty, right? 
And so I would get up and open his door, and he was sitting there that day, and he was rocking and smiling in his bed. And he jumped out of bed that day, and he gave me um, a big smile, and he laughed very loudly. This is very early in the morning. And then he did what he's done so many times. He leans his head like this. I guess I kind of trained him that way. And I would kiss him on the forehead, forehead and the top of his head right here. It's amazing that he had any hair left from all the times I kissed him there. And then he nearly skipped the 10 steps down to the bathroom where I was going to shower him. He was in an exceptionally happy mood that day. And uh, he was so loud, he, he, he was stirring my wife and, and my, my son and daughter-in-law who rent the apartment downstairs could hear him. And then, without sharing the next 45 minutes of my life in detail with you, which about 40 of those minutes, my son was already in heaven. Let me just say that, you know, he laughed, he coughed, he fell, and then he died. He went to heaven. I couldn't believe it. I was in shock. My whole family was in shock. My son Cody came running up when he fell. It shook the house, and we called 911, and I did my best to answer the questions they were asking, and I soon realized when they were there in just a matter of a few short minutes what was actually happening, and I couldn't believe it. So much has occurred in my life since then. There's a portion of those months I don't really remember right after his death. We took a leave of absence. We were given a leave of absence and to, to just kind of settle in because our life wasn't just about church. Our life was about caring for him. It was centered around that. And so I stand here today compelled to tell you that there is a God of all comfort. And I don't share that as a cute sermon illustration or a canned testimony. But I thought maybe you could benefit from some of my story. How God has healed me. How God continues to heal me because I'll never be the same. And I don't think he wants me to be. So how have I healed? Let me just tell you right out of the gate. And you're going to say, this is such a pastor answer. But prayers and the presence of God's spirit is how I have healed and when I say prayers, sure, I have cried out to God many prayers, but I'm talking about your prayers, the effect of your prayers, and other friends' and families' prayers. But the fact that there was not one day when I just stayed in bed. There were some days I wanted to. But God gave me the strength to keep getting up every day. And to experience God's Spirit's presence in a way that was hard to describe. It was not euphoric. <laughs> it wasn't like that. It was the fact that I know I'm surviving because of someone else leading me and guiding me. The other very pastoral type answer is that I was healed through understanding the principles and promises of God found in his word to not neglect the reading of his word, to the listening of sermons, to listening of podcasts and reading books about how God works and heals and breaks people to make people. And I, I kind of joke about those being pastor answers, but I got to tell you right now, I'm not saying those things. I don't believe those things because I'm a pastor. I guess I'm a, a pastor because I believe those things. 
Another thing that God has used to heal me is that he's taught me patience. Patience with a number of things, with the process that he's taken me through, to understand that I and you who have lost something, not just through death, but anytime you lose something, there's a sense of grief. Every time you are, something is, is taken from you, there's a sense of grief. And I've learned to be patient with the process, to not rush it. I mean, there were so many times when I thought, oh my goodness, it's been six months. Oh my goodness, it's been a year. Oh my goodness, it's been a, a year and three months. Why do I still feel this way sometimes? And God's just like, just, I'm the God of all comfort. There's more where that came from. Just pay attention. You have permission to question. You have permission to ask. You have permission to take your time. And everyone heals at a different pace. My wife and I are so together on this journey, but we have to walk our own paths as well at our own pace. Not only patience with the process, but honestly, patience with other people. Because people will say things, you know, or, or they'll assume things. Of, and and we, we can get all frustrated, and I can get frustrated with the things that they say. And I know they mean well. You know, and I've said these things in the past. Well, he's in a better place now. I know he's in a better place now. But what about my heart right now? And I, I can get angry at people who think they know what I feel. And I, I can get angry when people tell me to stay strong. Don't you have to be star- something in order to stay something? And I didn't feel strong, not at the beginning. You know, Nobody ever tells me, you know, stay tall, Mitch. <laughs> stay thin, Mitch, you know. No, I, I, I can't stay those things because I've never been those things. Now, if you say, stay short, Mitch, you know, stay white, Mitch, you know, I can do that. I can do that. But here's what I've had to, had to determine, and my wife as well, is that we don't take what is said, but we take the idea of the expression of care. And say, thank you for that wink, God, from that person. I know it didn't set right with me. However, however, I'm going to receive it as a gift from you. So there's people who say things, but there's also people who don't say anything. People you thought would say something. People you, you thought would check on you, you know? You'd be surprised. And I know why. Because they don't know what to say. They don't want to bring it up. They don't want to be the one to trigger what's happening in your life, but you know what? It needs to be checked on. So I've learned that, and God has used that to heal me. Also, people who know what it's like. You know, the Apostle Paul knew what it was like to go through something. He knew it. And there are people who are recycling God's help and hope from the pain that they've experienced in their life, and they have shared it with us as well. One of those people, and there are many, one of those people is Danita Washington, a Bridgeway partner, and she co-leads Bridgeway's Grief Share with Karen Twig. My wife attends that group on Tuesday night care night, and she lost her sweet boy, a little boy. Her and her husband lost him to an illness, and then it was 14 years later, but through her courage, And through her experience and her pathway of healing, she wrote a book called The Heart to Move Forward, Four Steps to L-I-V-E, Live. To live again after the loss of a child. 
you can get her book on Amazon or DanitaWashington.com. And, and that, that LIV is an acronym, and I won't do a spoiler on, on what it stands for, except the last letter E. Part of the healing journey is to encourage someone. And that is why I'm here today to deliver this word from God and to share some of my story as I have received God's comfort, as I, I'm trying to best that I can to learn from it and recycle it and, and to declare that my reliance is on God and yours can be too. And God, through that process, has changed my perspective on things or he's enhanced my perspective. I, I've come to realize that those circumstances, while they were tragic and while I had some, some um, stress, traumatic stress as a result of witnessing what happened and being there in the moment and that sudden loss, I've also come to understand that the way that it happened, that God is kind. We don't always have these answers, but we found out later, a good three months after, that my son had died because there were some blood clots that his body had produced and that he had a cancerous tumor, 13 centimeters, in his body that had become undetected. And it was soon going to come to fruition. And I can't imagine my boy with his, the way God had designed him in his uniqueness with his challenges to go through any kind of surgery or any kind of therapy. And he is really in a better place. And he's better off the way God took him. And so you got to be patient. You got to trust God. You got to understand. And sometimes I'll say in my perspective, I would say, Lord, take my pain away. Take my pain away. Take my pain away. And as my, my therapist told me, stop asking that. Why don't you ask or at least add, please, please show me what you want me to see and who you want me to become. And my perspective is also been shaped and molded by my amazing family, the fact that I have family that just lives a short distance away and that are in my life, my son and his wife and my two beautiful granddaughters, my other son and his wife and the fact that we can live in community together, my beautiful wife who we, we've just forged a deeper relationship together. And the last thing that I'll share with you today is about my purpose when, when Davy died, I'll admit, some of my identity, I, I kind of lost it. And I, I didn't know, okay, God, what do you want me to do with the rest of my life? I thought the rest of my life, even once I stopped working in a church, that I was going to be caring for my son. You know, usually it's the, the, parent, the parents that die first, but in this case it was backwards. Who am I, God? What do you want to do with me? And I'll tell you, God just kept informing me that he's not done with me and he's got more for me. And that... He wants to use this to make me a better shepherd for you. And I, I hope I'm becoming that for you. It's interesting, you know, there were five stages of grief when those doctors got together and figured that out. But they've added a sixth one, and that is purpose. Because when you get to the end of that line, learning your purpose is so important. So you can call on God at any time. Make that 911 call. And when he comforts us, we in turn can help other people. We go through stuff, God helps us not only get through it, but then we can help other people. And, and you know what the eighth saying of a gracious is, right? I will heal with you. And that kind of sums up the application of this entire message, to heal with each other. Before I step away, in conclusion here, 
Man, I had this video that I absolutely loved, a video of my son. It's a very short clip. And, and during COVID, my entire family at one point was staying in my house. We were under that kind of a lockdown. My son had moved from Indiana and we were with his family and we were all staying together. And my son Dusty would take Davey out on these hikes to get him out and to get him some exercise. And, and he, he was on one of these hikes with his daughter. And then my, my daughter-in-law, Sydney, was with him. And, and of course, he was equipped, you know, with his water bottle and popcorn. That was kind of his way of hiking, you know. And this video was one of my favorites. And then I couldn't watch it. Or when I watched it, I would cry every time. I would hurt so bad. But today, for some reason, applying all this stuff, it's one of my favorite videos again. And I just can't help but sharing it with you so that you can see the joy that God has allowed me to remember. You welcome, boy? <laughs> What's so funny? You welcome, boy? <laughs> you know, God can take our pain and He can turn it into something else if we receive it and we let Him. So, what have you gone through? What are you going through? Have you called out to God for help? Have you allowed others to recycle their hope and their comfort in your life? And then, what's your story? And how can you leverage that to help other people? Maybe it's been a death of a loved one or a, a divorce that you never saw coming or a diagnosis that just took you out of your being of who you thought you were going to be in your future or a decision about your job that left you unemployed or, or drama in relationships or a prodigal child or false accusations or financial crisis, whatever it is, get help from God and then give help to others. Will you let God meet you where you are and take you where you want to go? The God of all comfort. Thanks for listening to the Bridgeway Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Bridgeway, visit our website at bridgeway.cc. To watch all of our sermons, visit our YouTube channel and make sure you subscribe while you're there. If you'd like to download sermon notes, just click the link in the description. If you'd like to take part in our 30th anniversary challenge, go to bridgeway.cc 30. That's bridgeway.cc slash T-H-I-R-T-Y. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.